What's your problem? What's your solution? This is an interview series about making the world a better place. Seventy years ago, after World War II, the world embarked on a mission of ever closer international collaboration. The 1960s brought the dream of universal love. In the 1970s, after the landing on the moon, we saw the first picture of our blue, borderless planet. In the past decade, however, the world seems to have reversed course. We're now talking about building new walls at the very moment that human civilization faces an inescapable planetary crisis, global warming. Deepak Chopra has been a leader of alternative medicine for almost 50 years. He argues that mindsets are as important for healing as medication. That's why Deepak Chopra is on a mission to change consciousness for a billion people. Different mindsets will lead to a different, healthier, more just and sustainable world. To reverse global warming, meditation may very well be the most important solution. Deepak Chopra is a pioneer of healing for people and planet. Welcome to the Climate Solutions Summit. Welcome, Dr. Chopra. Thank you. Shall we start with closing our eyes for one minute? So what would happen if every business meeting and every political debate would start like we just did? I think if every political debate and every conference started in this way with stillness, there would be more insight, more intuition, more imagination, more creativity, and also a kind of a emotional and spiritual bonding amongst the people together that would lead to creative solutions instead of uh, divisiveness. So when we talk about divisiveness, when we started after the Second World War, there was a period of uh, some 70 years ago, we started ever more collaboration. There were United Nations, we had universal love in the 60s, we had walls coming down, we saw the first picture of our own planet taken from outer space that brought us together, there were no borders on that picture. And then suddenly, you know, about 10 years, 15 years ago, it started to shift again and we started to become more divisive and we start to, to build walls again even. So how do you explain that and how do you, how do you understand that, that change? I don't uh, pretend to know the explanation other than uh, for every step forward, there's usually a half step back. Every step, two steps you take, you go back out of fear. The fear is the fear of uh, change, the fear of transformation, the fear of loss of what we think is identity, even though it's not, it's a provisional identity. So um, these are, sometimes explained as phase transitions, which occur in natural systems. So, for example, when water becomes steam, that's called a phase transition. There are many examples of phase transitions in natural systems, but I chose that because when water becomes steam, there's turbulence and there's chaos. Uh, so every 
great change is preceded by chaos. And I'm hoping this is what is happening, that we are in the midst of a phase transition. And there's fear, there's reluctance, there's fear of the unknown, which is the only place to go to. The unknown is the only place where there is creativity, but people are so fixated on not losing the known identities that they have. So we are caught up in what we call provisional identity. I'm white, I'm black, I'm male, I'm female, I'm transgender, I'm American, I'm African, I'm Catholic, I'm Protestant, I'm Muslim, I'm Buddhist. It goes on and on. All these are human constructs that have no intrinsic reality. Nothing that we identify with, including your body and your mind, it's a provision, and your name and your form is a provisional identity. But when that identity shifts, there's anxiety. And the interesting thing is that that happens at the very moment of probably, I mean, for the first time in, in, in the human civilization as we know it, that we face a challenge that, that nobody can escape, that's global warming. I mean, mm -hmm. this is not a local challenge, this is a planetary challenge. So we need to come together more than we ever did. We do. Um, it depends on who you listen to, but some people say that climate change catastrophes could begin in 15 years. Others say the human race might be extinct in 100 years or less, 50 years. And if you look at the data, the probabilities are that it probably is true, give or take a few decades. Yeah. It doesn't make a difference in no. the long scheme of things. So the last extinction, mass extinction, was 65 million years ago when a meteorite fell on planet Earth and dinosaurs were wiped out. From your point of view, my point of view, that was a fortunate thing. We wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened. You know, a new species evolved. So one way of thinking about this is that the human experiment was a good idea, but it failed. Yes. And so it needs to, the experiment is over. It failed. It brought a lot of interesting things, internet and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and great technologies and satellites and intergalactic probes. But to what end? To our extinction. Uh, to what end? Mechanized death, drones, nuclear warfare, biological warfare, eco-destruction, extinction of species, and now the most dangerous thing is, of course, as we say, climate change, because connected to everything. Climate change is connected to climate refugees, connected to new epidemics, connected to violence, connected to everything, the economy. If dire consequences of climate change come true, then even our technologies are doomed. Uh, you won't have Google anymore or Facebook. You won't have records of human history unless somebody puts them on stone because all these technologies will be wiped out. There'll be millions of climate refugees, new epidemics and violence, and therefore extinction. Maybe a few species will be left, I mean, and a few humans, and they can evolve to a new, new, new species. That's one scenario. The other scenario is uh, possible, and that is there's a deep emotional and spiritual shift first. Because when you look at that tree, you look at this sky, 
One way of saying is that's a tree. Another way of looking at that is that's my lungs. If that didn't breathe, I wouldn't breathe. In fact, we are co-breathing. If you take a rabbit, you put it in a vacuum, it dies. You take a plant and put it in a vacuum, it dies. You put the two of them together, they both live. So we have a personal body, we have an extended body, a universal body, they're equally ours. You live, this word environment is a wrong word. I think that's, we start with there. We call it the environment, but this earth is recycling as your body. Those rivers are recycling as your circulation. The air is your breath, the trees are your lungs. And actually it is those photons that are coming from sun that are giving the food to our planet. Uh, We are consuming the energy of the sun as it comes through this earth. So your body is made of atoms. The atoms were forged in the crucible of burning stars. You are a stardust being with self-awareness and you don't even know it. So the first thing is to have an emotional relationship with your universal body, a spiritual relationship to treat it as sacred. Now, people don't even treat their own body as sacred. Leave aside the body that is ours. Mm -hmm. But if that shift happens, if there's a critical mass, and somewhere in my mind, I think maybe a billion people have that critical shift, then we have the technologies. I personally know people who can recycle anything and everything without a drop. It's like going to sub-Saharan Africa and uh, in the depths of uh, nature and seeing it as pristine. We have technologies to do that already, whether it's alternative energies, wind, oceans, tidal waves, gravity. The human mind has amazing creativity. But you need an emotional and spiritual shift. Then you need to harness these creative solutions. So you mentioned it, the technology is there, the solutions are there, the innovation has has been done. Money, also always a problem, but in this case, there's more than enough money as well. So the only thing we really need is is, is something else. You you were talking about it. It's a shift, I guess, in consciousness. Is that the way you would describe that? You have to have a shift in consciousness that allows you to have a more absolute identity. Who am I? What am I? Am I this body? Well, this body is just the recycling of every other thing that's happening around me. This earth I mentioned. The universe is recycling as my body. This is a very provisional identity. I acquired it when I was conceived, and this will go away when I I die or the body dies. And it's a verb. It's a recycling. Actually, the universe is the best recycling plant. Mm -hmm. There is. So... Am I this changing body? Am I this changing mind? Am I these changing thoughts? Am I these changing emotions? Or is there a deeper consciousness that is actually being experienced as this and this? Once I get that, then I go to my source and I realize my source is also your source, whether that's a perceptual experience, which we call the physical world and the physical body, or it's a mental experience, which is thoughts and feelings and emotions, they all come from what I would call the conditioned, uh, fragmented, separate mind. And that is a learned response. We weren't born that way. A baby is not born that way. 
And the great Indian poet Tagore said, every child that is born is proof that God has not yet given up on human beings. But he, God might soon give up on human beings, and that would be the extinction. So we need a spiritual identity, a more emotional bonding. We need a shared vision. And then we need actually maximum diversity in harnessing our collective creativity. If you put together people in a room from diverse uh, backgrounds, humanitarians, philanthropists, scientists, technologists, brain, cognitive scientists, and you have a shared vision and they bond with, with each other, then something happens that's called emergence. And what we need is that emergence right now. So you personally have influenced already millions of people in the past 30 to 40 years in this direction. You've been teaching oneness, meditation, uh, you know, this view of we are all interconnected. You, you have inspired many people that way. Do you think that whatever you be, are able to bring into the uh, awareness of people, that it sticks and that it ultimately lifts us all up and that it keeps adding up? Or, that, or is that just a, a momentarily experience that people have? Like, okay, now I see it, but then they go back to the world they're living in and everything is still the same. So what we call our individual mind is the recycling of the collective mind. Most people don't even have their own thoughts. They're just recycling everybody else's thoughts. And what we're seeing as our collective behavior is also the recycling of the collective mind, which is a collection of fragmented minds. I look at our new technologies, like the internet, for example, as the global brain right now. And if you want to know the human condition, all you have to do is go to the internet. You can find everything, sacred, profane, divine, diabolical, uh, sinner, saint, pornography, and the best kind of um, archetypal visions of glory, heaven, hell, purgatory, it's all there. It's there for us to see. It's there right staring us on the interface of the computer. So there is reason for hope in that if we can use the technologies, I'm not just talking about the internet, the global brain. I'm talking about everything else that has connected to that, these social media um, enterprises, educational institutions the entertainment industry, music, the street poets, the hip-hop poets. These are the conscience of society. When you look at totalitarian regimes and despots, they're not worried about the scientists and the professionals. Who are they worried about? The artists. Because the artists are renegades, they are rebellious. In a way, they are the soul, the collective soul, and the collective consciousness. And unless we bring the artists and the poets and the humanitarians and the philosophers and the scientists and the philanthropists and the technologists together, and we harness their collective intention, collective imagination, collective creativity, and then it becomes a lifelong campaign for all of us. It becomes a movement. So we rewire the global brain for a more peaceful, just, sustainable, and healthier world, and joyful world, 
because the world that you look at is the projection of our collective consciousness. So what it needs is just a little bit of intelligent harnessing of our collective humanity for, this has been my mantra by the way for 35, 40 years, peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, joyful. They're connected. You know, you can't have peace in the world if you don't have peace in yourself. Peace can only be created by those who are peaceful. Love can only be given by those who have loved or received love. And that's true of everything that we do. So, again, nothing original, Mahatma Gandhi, can you be the change that you want to see in the world? So, if there are enough people wanting to be the change in the world, we have the wherewithal to rewire the global brain. So, you know, even our individual brains, they have three components to it. A reptilian brain, mm -hmm. which is only looking for survival. An emotional brain, which is dysfunctional at the moment because our children have been brought up by dysfunctional parents. And the dysfunctional parents have been brought up um, because of war and conflict in the world. I was looking at the history of the United States. The United States has been at war since it was born. Yeah. Then, but then you say, what about the world? And you say, the world has been in war ever since we left being hunter-gatherers. Or even as hunter-gatherers, yeah. we were fighting. So if this is humanity for thousands of years and hundreds of thousands of years, how dare we think that we can change it? And the answer is we can because we at a, are at a pivotal point where identifying ourselves with a tribe or a, you know, a tribal identity, whether it's a religious tribe or whatever, identifying ourselves as a tribal mind with the capacities for destruction that we have, it doesn't, it's not just nuclear weapons, it's biological warfare, it's this. You yeah. can take this and if you're smart enough, you can cause a nuclear plant to leak or yeah. uh, cut off the electricity or the food chain or poison the food. You can do many things. I don't want to give people ideas right now, but you can use <laughs> you this. Yes. You could do it. If you people get together, they could do it, but they could use this to heal the world. Yeah. This is the moment of choice. And it is. And, and you've been saying, you quoted Gandhi, it starts with the individual. Do you get already with them, with your own, the people you are teaching, um, into the conversation that it's also beyond their own survival? It's about... Oh yeah, I mean, this is all I do right now to get people uh, engaged in what is called love in action. Because love without action is meaningless and action without love is irrelevant. But when you have love in action, and that love comes when you have self-love, but self-love is not love of the ego, it is the self of the consciousness that is common to all of us. And when you get there, you cannot help but be in love. And that's a different kind of love. It's not denied to anyone. It's not necessarily focused on anyone. It's like light. It goes wherever yeah. it needs to shine. So somebody said to me, you know, the solution to global warming is love. Would you agree with that? It starts there, but then it has to, love has to take action. Absolutely. So 
what would you, how would you describe, you know, having done what you already have done for, for three, four decades, what is your mission now? What do you want to achieve? I want to reach a billion people who are engaged in personal and social transformation. And that's all they have to do. They have to, because there's no social transformation in the, in the absence of personal transformation. Personal and social transformation and then the collective intention and the harnessing of our collective imagination and creativity for, you could ask me this at night, the gun to my head, mm -hmm. I would say more peaceful, just sustainable, healthier and joyful world possible. So you said that, as you just said, you've been doing this for years, you've been saying that for years, it's your mantra. So if you look at, from that perspective, your, your mantra for all those years, from the world that you started your work in and today, what do you see progress? What do you see? I see progress, but I also see reaction to that progress and I also see fear. I see chaos and creativity dancing together right now. And so in the end, creativity always wins out. You know, the German philosopher, um, is it Nietzsche who said, when you have chaos within you, it gives birth to a dancing star. So maybe we're giving birth and these are labor pains or adolescence, something like that. Transition. If you would have a chance to, to meet for an hour with someone, or say as this example, with President Donald Trump, how would you use that hour? What would you do with that energy? I would not waste a minute with Donald Trump. Forget about an hour. I wouldn't <laughs> waste a second because you have to engage with somebody who's willing to listen and who has an attention span. So I think uh, people like um, Donald Trump, um, there is, you know, again, I don't want to be sounding esoteric or mystical, but we have an expression in the East that karma never loses an address. So I wouldn't worry about Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But the, um, so he, of course, personifies a whole, you know, emergence also of, of a new uh, He tribe. personifies the turbulence and the chaos and the, and the confusion and the fear that is part of the collective mind. He brought it out. Actually, we should be grateful for him. Had it not been for him, we wouldn't see the ugliness of our collective dirty laundry. You know, we are seeing it. Racism, bigotry, hatred, prejudice, ethnocentrism, fear, anger, hostility. There's one word for it, inflammation. And inflammation causes disease. So we are seeing the inflammation. But at least we are seeing it. If you have a diagnosis, then you have a treatment. But if you don't know what the diagnosis is, you can't do anything. So this also energizes the, the, oh, the, the yeah, forces. Oh, yeah, it's done. You just see the cycles in politics. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a wave. You've answered many questions from guys like me over a long period of time. But I wonder, what is the question you're seeking the answer to? The question you ask yourself. I'm not seeking an answer. I think I know the answer. I want to be the answer, which means I have to get beyond my own identity as the biological species that we call humans. Because humans are creative, but humans are insane, 
also. You cannot call a species that creates mechanized death and drones and nuclear weapons and biological warfare or kills in the name of God, it's not sane. If we don't agree that humanity at the moment is insane, then we are declaring our own insanity. So my first goal personally is to pick up my visitor's badge in the insane asylum that we call planet Earth because I can't get out of it. You no. know, I'm here. And so first thing is pick up your visitor's badge and not contribute to the insanity. The second is awaken myself to the source of the infinite modes of expression of that yes. one mind. Because if the one mind is infinite, it has all kinds of minds in it. So to wake up to that and then deconstruct the stories we say and see if we have a new story. So actually I'm, I'm now putting that together in a new book, which may be my last or second last book. It's called Meta Human. What is possible for a human to evolve to? Because the human experiment has failed. So Meta Human is next. You also spoke about love in action, right? How would you practice love in action? What are your, your deeds there? Well, I start with some very simple intentions. And the day one is just the intention of a joyful, energetic body. Uh, the second, a loving, compassionate heart. Third is a quiet, reflective mind. And fourth is lightness of being, not being reactive, not uh, having any regrets, not being in resistance, being open. That opens the door to tremendous opportunities. If you have love and compassion in your heart, you automatically want to put it into action. And if you can make one person happy by giving them attention, affection, appreciation, attention and acceptance, and they in turn do that for another person or two other person, you suddenly have numerous people engaged in love and action. Are we on a parallel uh, trajectory? That is, that we're sort of bypassing this, the conflict, the struggle that's happening in politics, for instance, and in business, and this new emergence is, is happening somewhere else and ultimately, hopefully, becomes stronger. Yeah, if we could have the new emergence and a leap in that new emergence, a disruption, a discontinuity, and a leap. And metaphorically speaking, that's what a quantum leap is. And I'm speaking metaphorically. You know, have a particle here, then suddenly it's not here anymore. It's here, and it didn't go through the space in between. It's a leap, and that's how imagination also works. It's a shift in context, in meaning, in relationship, and most importantly, in the story we're telling as a collective species as a collective mind. What's the problem we are facing as, as a... The biggest problem we are facing is lack of awareness. That's it. And the biggest problem we are facing with that lack of awareness is a collective conversation in media, in social networks, in the global ecosystem, in politics, in business, in educational institutions, even in entertainment, which reinforces separation. So we need to 
expand the collective conversation, we need to use technology, education, entertainment. So in my mind, I think if educators, entertainers, and you know, the technicians of the world and the artists of the world came together and the scientific solutions, that's what we need. But we cannot do that unless we have this conversation that we're having right now. And unless we expand on this conversation and keep it alive all the time, because while there are people who are watching soap operas and melodrama, we could make this conversation much more in interesting, much more entertaining, much more enlightening. Education, entertainment, enlightenment come together. Again, that's the recipe. But we need to do that now. And we need to do this with the help of the big networks who haven't done it because you know even if you watch the networks they're either on the left they're on the right and they are trying to be melodramatic so they can get more views so how do you get more views for this conversation how do you make this conversation enlightening but also entertaining and also enjoyable do you know the word impossible Impossible is just a word for something that hasn't happened yet. Thank you. Thank you. Deepak Chopra's message touches the core of the climate change challenge. Reversing global warming is not about changing the world and nature around us, it's about changing our inner nature. Stay tuned for more climate solutions. <laughs>